Hello, and welcome to another episode of So Yeah Feminism. I am your host for today, Quinn, and today we are going to be talking about something a little different, um, some history for a change. Um, this may be the last episode of this podcast, I'm not really sure, uh, as I'm headed off to law school in the fall, and I know Blue is very busy with all of their things after graduating, so we'll see. But if this is the last episode, then thank you for listening thus far, Um, and get out there and make your own podcast, because as I've learned, it is really very fun and not too hard. Um, So, on to our topic for the day. Over the summer, I have been working on a research project as part of um, my last few requirements for graduation, and I decided that I really wanted to investigate the student protests that occurred on the Ohio State University's campus um, back in 1970, the spring of 1970. Um, Partly why I wanted to focus on these was that there um, was really like a huge, huge historical meaning to them. Um, They were driven by racial and gender discrimination that was going on at the time, as well as um, activism surrounding the Vietnam War that was also occurring around that time. And actually, this of spring of protests or the spring of dissent as um, the Ohio State University Libraries has referred to it um, is very monumental in um, how the um, Wigs Department or Women's Gender and Sexuality Studies Department at the Ohio State University developed. Um, It actually was really the starting point for um, African-American studies at the university, as well as women's gender and sexuality studies, um, because both of those groups were so active and really quite um, adamant that these departments be created so that these kind of things could be studied at the university. So a very important time period for everyone involved, um, and especially so now to look back and see exactly what was going on at the time and how this all happened. So I'm going to start at the beginning um, on Monday, March 9th, when all of this began. And this is going to be a little bit of a shorter podcast than my last one was, which was about an hour. Uh, This one will be about 40 minutes because that is the amount of time that SoundCloud will allow me to upload without having to subscribe to get a pro account. So that's what we have to work with. Um, And most of the information I'm getting to share with you today um, is from a piece of writing called Diary of a Dilemma, which um, is available through the OSU library. Um, And and there is also a great website you can check out 
um, and it's library.osu.edu backslash projects backslash spring dash of dash descent. Um, and that will get you right to the heart of the information. There are photos there. There are um, backgrounds. There's a whole timeline you can read. Um, and Diary of Dilemma was a publication in the Ohio State University Monthly that was published in June 1970. So right after um, the campus was actually shut down for two weeks and then reopened in May. So they kind of wrote up a timeline of the things that had happened, and I am here to give a little life to that, a little auditory explanation. Um, and I also have some other materials you can check out through their website, the Ohio University website, um, such as Lantern articles um, and other kind of published information of the time, because it was a pretty was a pretty big deal at the time. The, the campus was closed down for two weeks, which is the longest time the campus has ever been closed down for any reason. So let's get started talking about why. All right, so on Monday, March 9th, um, a group of students representing 200 black students on campus communicated to the vice president for student affairs at the time, whose name was John T. Mount, that they um, needed to meet with him, and they wanted to meet with him that day, in fact. So a dozen men and women who represented the new Afro-Am Society went to Mount's office, and they presented 19 demands, which I will tell you about shortly. And they gave a deadline for a response, and that deadline was Friday, March 13th at noon. Um, it was a pretty short, peaceful meeting. Um, they all left in an orderly fashion. No one, you know, nothing really happened to anyone who was involved in that particular meeting. So here is the list of demands. I'll give you a brief overview since there are 19. So, I started out, we the black students of Ohio State University and members of the black community demand the following. That one, an additional bus be added to the evening service of the campus bus. And this was so that the waiting time would be approximately 10 minutes. Um, there was quite a long wait before that. Um, and also that 45% of the money that black students pay in general service student fees should be submitted to a black student fund under the direction of the Minority Affairs Office. And our Choking Times, which was a black publication at the university, should receive a permanent office space in the School of Journalism building and have access to all the equipment in that building. Um, as well as students who work on that paper to receive journalism credits. The administration, this is the fifth one, the administration should issue funds in the amount of a thousand, a hundred thousand dollars, excuse me, during the regular orientation period for a specifically black orientation program to orient black students under the direction of the special assistant to the Dean of Special Affairs. 
Xerox machines, typewriters, and other office equipment should be furnished to the NAACP. And at least six black policemen be employed on the university campus. A separate office be established in order to bring 2,500 additional black students to campus by the next quarter. Um, black people be implemented in all hiring of supervisory and academic personnel. At least four black people be seated on the Committee of Cultural Services. At least 10 black dorm directors, 25 black RAs, and 10 black SBAs be hired for autumn quarter. This is number 12. The university should establish a black cultural center in the black community of Columbus. Number 13, a concentrated effort and support of funds on the part of the university to enroll more black students in the fields of mathematics, pre-medicine, natural sciences, technology, and business and law. More scholarship funds be made available to black students. And 15 is a very key one. So a degree-granting department in the field of Afro-American studies be established. More jobs for black students be made available. Fees be lowered for all students. At least four black students be installed on the Committee of Disciplinary Matters at the university. And finally, more black people be hired through the athletic department as trainers, groundskeepers, coaches, and athletes as well. So again, they demanded a reply by that Friday at noon p.m. And between that Monday and Friday, there were several other meetings that occurred between representatives from the original group and different administrative people on the Ohio State campus. Um, they met with residential directors as well as other deans and directors of admissions who basically gave them different information um, and also provided information back to Vice President Mount um, for him to formulate his reply for Friday. And that Thursday, March 12th, the current president of OSU at the time, who was President Novice J. Fawcett, um, responded to a request from Vice President Mount with several observations. So he agreed that effort should be increased to have minority students well represented in the university. However, he disagreed with several of the key points of the black students' demands. So he disagreed on the orientation program funding that they requested um, of $100,000 since the entire orientation program budget at that time was only $35,000. He also disagreed on the point of trying to get 2,500 new black students by the fall because he cited the Ohio State's admissions policy that was set to basically ignore race or other um, factors such as religion as they were admitting students. And Fawcett also cited that um, the university was not able to come up with the lower fees that the students expressed desiring, as well as the additional expenditures they also desired. So basically, Fawcett said 
that he agreed in principle that more work should be done to benefit minority students, but basically shot down all of the demands that the black students actually requested. So after that came out on Friday, um, the original group did meet um, again after assembling at the administration building. There was unconformed reports that the administrators got that the participants were carrying bricks and this sparked a lot of alarm so security surrounded the administration building and those again were unconfirmed reports and spokesmen for the protest group um, later said that it was just a symbolic gesture to indicate that they were trying to build understanding um, so basically, at that point, the administration was kind of done with this whole um, discussion. They no longer wanted to allow um, the black students and other student protesters to disrupt the operation of the university. And they decided that um, pretty much even when they did have meetings, that nothing was accomplished and those and those students who were involved refused to identify themselves, which um, also did not help the administration figure out exactly who was involved and what they were trying um, to accomplish. So what followed after that was um, a small group of students were let into the building to have a meeting, and then about 80 students were let into the building um, and glass was broken, um, some other furniture was broken, one of the receptionists was um, basically immobilized while several office machineries were destroyed as well. Um, at that point the administration called the State Highway Patrol because they decided that they could no longer handle this and the Vice President for University Development, Robert G. Smith, issued a new statement which was a couple paragraphs long but more or less said that they respected the rights of the students however they would not meet under demand situations to discuss the special concerns of minority students um, and that they would no longer let the dialogue continue while they were feeling intimidated um, and that they had always been willing to discuss legitimate concerns of students, but that they were only willing to do that within the structure of the university, such as scheduling meetings, and the university would never respond to demands, which, if you have been keeping up with more recent news about The Ohio State University, you might see a familiar, familiar pattern there um, as the Reclaim OSU demands were also left um, in the dust pretty much because the university would not respond to demands. So interesting how history repeats itself. So after the university responded saying that they would not meet these demands, on the same day they actually filed a restraining order 
with the Court of Common Pleas of Franklin County against all of the participants, um, including the members of AFRAM Society, the members of the university chapter of the NAACP, as well as several other individuals who had participated in the protests. They also met later that day with um, several members of the Columbus Police Department, including the chief of police, as well as several members of the highway patrol. This was following um, some small fires, actually, that were reported in the physics library, in a wastebasket, in Derby Hall Bookstore, in Townsend Hall, um, <clears throat> as well as several other buildings which had their fire alarm set off, but there were no actual fires in the buildings. And then on Monday, about 100 students walked out of the School of Social Work um, to protest what they determined was them being unable to participate in decision-making at their um, college, at the School of Social Work. And then on Tuesday, there was one of the biggest protests um, that had occurred yet, of about 175 people that um, started out on the Oval and then proceeded to the Ohio Union. Following this was a joining of committees, um, several of the committees who had been involved previously in forming these protests joined together to create an ad hoc committee for student rights. So a part of this committee were the AFRO-AM group, Third World Solidarity Committee, Student Mobilization Committee, the social work students who had walked out, as well as some Lantern staffers. So they met, um, continued to meet, um, a lot of new groups were springing up overnight. They also had a, held a rally on Friday, April 24th, that was attended by about 300 people. So this was the biggest rally so far, for sure. This group moved to the administration building from the Oval, and they were told, well, they were locked out of the building, first of all, but they were also told that Vice President Mount, who they had been talking to before, was not there, as well as President Fawcett was not there. They were offered the opportunity to speak with Dr. Robinson, but they refused um, and handed the following letter, which is a revised issue of the demand, which was developed by this committee, all in conjunction with each other. So the first demand on this list was amnesty for the students who were served the injunction or the restraining order. Um, also, that the students who had been involved and arrested on April 21st, that they be free from all disciplinary action as well as free from any outside of the campus um, retribution. They also demand that no sanctions be taken against university students and workers who participate in anything that's critical of the university. So they didn't think it was fair that 
being critical of the university could land you in trouble with the university. Number three was a repeal of university rules that would have an effect on free speech. So anything that limited free speech. Fourth demand was that they were supporting the demands of the Afro-Am and black students on campus, that the university needs to increase the recruitment of black students, and that other minority students, such as people from lower income families, um, as well as Latino students, be welcomed to the university as well. They also wanted the university to open actually other branches in black communities. They demanded that each student in each department have 50% of voting representation so that the students and the faculty would have a shared responsibility to make decisions relating to curriculum, recruiting, and allocation of funds. They said, um, we're up to eight now, that the university should sever all ties with war research in the military, as well as an immediate termination of the ROTC program on campus. They also demanded the dismissal of several administrators, including Wendell Ellenwood, John Mount, and Charles Gams. So this was the updated demands um, since the first demands were originally given. And following this were really when the university started to erupt in a lot of different protests and arrests and even violence at the hands of the university police as well as the um, National Guard and Highway Patrol which had been called in to help in the situation. So on Wednesday, April 29th, about 2,000 people gathered, which is pretty incredible for um, you know, the size of our school, um, OSU is huge, obviously, and has many more students than that, and I'm sure had many more students than that at that point as well. But 2,000 people is still a sizable number just over these issues um, for everyone to gather together. So the protesters on Wednesday, April 29th, blocked several entrances to campus, including 15th and a high and 11th and Neal. And as the police tried to get them to move, to stop blocking these entrances, they, they pretty much refused. Um, and there were many, many confrontations between highway patrol and students, between police and students. And several people were injured on this day. Um, tear gas was thrown at the protesters, as well as several shots were reported fired. Luckily, no one was seriously hurt on this day, or even um, no one was killed. And 
um, even though tear gas was really honestly covered campus at that point because there were just so many police distributing tear gas that it was just kind of a cloud rolling over campus. And if you want to see some images of that, you can actually go on the website I mentioned earlier, um, library.osu backslash projects backslash spring dash of dash descent. Um, there are several great pictures that you can see of just how much tear gas was on campus that you could like see it in the air even when you weren't near where it was distributed. So that day, seven people were treated for injuries um, and 300 arrests were made. So that night at 9 p.m., Mayor M.E. Sensenbrenner imposed a curfew from the whole campus area all the way down to Olentangy and Indianola Avenue, as well as um, all the way over to Hudson Street from Fifth Avenue. So, like, the huge block of campus and the campus area was completely blocked off, and everybody was told that they had to be inside. And that was what composed most of the arrests from that day. So, that was when most of those people, most of that 300 number I mentioned earlier, were arrested just because they were not in compliance with the curfew that had been imposed. So that was that day. And the next day, which was Thursday, April 30th, um, actually the demonstrators doubled. There was now 4,000 of them. And tensions between protesters and police got even worse. Um, and they decided that the use of tear gas was even more necessary because now there were more students and the same number of officers. So things were getting pretty hectic on campus. Um even when um, the protesters requested certain privileges, such as having a sleep-in on the Oval, um, they were denied because the curfew was still set um, for even earlier, for 8 p.m. And at 7.20 p.m., there was actually an explosion and a fire, which followed from Brown Hall Annex, which presumably we've never heard of because it exploded on this day and burned down. So basically any student who was arrested on campus during these few days was told that they were um, suspended from the university because they had been in violation of the university rules on disruption was what the administration called it. And after this week of so much upheaval came a pretty calm weekend. Nothing really happened over the weekend. Um, the following Monday was also pretty calm. Um, Vice President Robinson announced a $170,000 fund allocation um, for the Black Studies Division, which had been approved the previous October. Um, several black People were appointed to faculty positions, administration positions. However, um, 
this didn't really impact what the demonstrators were trying to do because they had requested a lot of other more important events than could just be fixed by these few simple kind of things that just sort of been happening anyways. So on Monday, there were a lot of fire calls. Um, the most serious fire occurred in Lord Hall after a firebomb was thrown, as well as a continued huge crowd of demonstrators at about 1,500, um, preventing people from going to class. And this day, um, which was Monday, May 4th, was actually when the tragedy at Kent State happened, when four students were shot um, in the midst of protesting. So um, I think this kind of changed the tone for demonstrators as well as administrators who were trying to prevent disruption on campus because they realized just how serious it could get for everyone involved. So on the 5th, um, students again gathered to protest. Uh, they blocked entrances to classes. They blocked entrances to campus. Um, and following this, on the same day, um, the Ad Hoc Committee for Campus Rights distributed some more requests that they had made. Um, they had done these in conjunction with the Women's Liberation Organization that was very prominent on campus at this time, very prominent in the protests, as well as the black students' organizations that had been very prominent. So several of them were ones that were already mentioned, but I will go into the ones that were not mentioned so far. So the first one was that they remove all city and state police from campus, um, as well as disarm the campus police. Um, this is probably in result of the Kent State kind of events. Um, definitely a concern for students who are protesting. They didn't want to have the same kind of tragedy happen to them. Secondly, that the university should provide free self-defense courses for women on campus that also were credited towards graduation so that they weren't just, you know, an extra class you had to take, but they would actually be a part of your graduation requirements. Um, an end to quotas based upon sex, which would um, restrict how many women or how many people of color could enter a certain class as well as the university recruiting and hiring more women advisors, administrations, and faculty. An end of the university's sexist policies. The immediate abolishment of degrading and unfair disciplinary practices, which apply only to women students, and other policies and programs which degrade women, as well as equal representation in all student administration, governing, and judicial bodies. The initiation of courses on women's past history and the abolishment in all fields of de and departments of the inaccurate, degrading stereotype image of women. And that one's pretty important because um, that one was kind of the genesis or the demand of the genesis of the Women and Gender Sexuality Studies Department at OSU, the courses component, as well as the establishment of a daycare center, which would be free to all women. 
for the university community. And the establishment of an on-campus Planned Parenthood Center to serve all women, regardless of marital status, was a key, key thing they put in there. So after this day continued, more fire calls, more firebombs, more everything. Um, so it was actually not until that Wednesday when the college started trying to close down certain buildings. They tried to close down the food halls. Um, people were continuing to gather in the thousands. Um, and that was the day that campus was closed. The president of the university, President Fawcett, ordered the campus to disperse. They ordered people who could go home that night to go home that night. And for the rest of them, they had to be gone by noon the next day. So this was ordered at 5.30 p.m. on Wednesday. And they had about, um, I guess I would say, what is it, like 17 hours to be off campus? Almost about 20 hours. Um, and anyone, only key personnel and staff were to report for work. Um, and this, the campus closed for about two weeks, which was unheard of at the time. The campus had never closed for that period of time for any reason. And these students managed to get the campus closed down for just that amount of time. And presumably part of the reason why the campus was closed was because the administrators realized that there was no alternative really to meeting these student demands besides to just get them off campus where they could no longer continue to disrupt university life and demand things that the university did not want to give them. So followed through that was um, about two weeks of inactivity. Um, it was on Wednesday, May 13th that administrators met to actually decide when to reopen campus. But in the meantime, several other campuses had been closed down around the Ohio area, including Case Western Reserve University um, and Akron University. Kent State, of course, had to close down. So the, so the Ohio State University was not alone in this dilemma of how to deal with their students that they could no longer um, really control. Um, so it was within a couple weeks the campus was reopened um, and this actually occurred on Monday, May 25th, I believe. Um, it was, that was the day that campus was opened with actually so many, actually no, it was, I'm sorry, it was Friday, May 22nd. Um, I had to check my timeline there for a second. So it was on Friday, May 22nd, and there were 5,000 Ohio National Guardsmen on campus um, to keep these students in check. And they were told that if they continued to violate university policy, 
they could possibly be jailed for up to a year. So this really kind of squashed student protests. There were still some protests that went on, but far, far less. Um, and some of the demands were able to be met. However, most of them weren't. Most of them weren't. Um, so the demands that were met were planning a parent-child center, um, planning more outreach to black communities, as well as more summer programs for students. And the unfortunate part about all this is while no students were killed or severely injured, um, there were a lot of students who were suspended and expelled, um, and even actually who faced some serious police retribution as well. Um, so many students were unable to return to school, um, and they were compelled to find somewhere else to complete their education um, with some pretty serious allegations on their record. And even more seriously was the death of a custodial worker who worked on campus who had asthma, and he was actually overcome by tear gas on one of the days when the campus was overcome with tear gas, and he unfortunately um, passed away before he could be helped. So overall, a pretty serious time in the Ohio State University life. So that is about all I have to share with you today because we are reaching our time limit um, for me to upload this podcast. So thank you so much for listening to this potentially last, but maybe just third episode or actually fourth episode. I forgot about the first two. Um, so the fourth episode and potentially last episode of So Yeah Feminism. And thank you so much if you have been listening to some of our previous episodes, um, if you've been following with us this whole time. I I certainly hope to make maybe some other episodes, but life is about to get pretty busy for me, um, and I know that Blue is also very busy, so hope to talk to you again, but we will see. Um, and again, this is in completion of my summer research project on the Spring of Dissent, as it is termed, or otherwise known as the student protests in 1970s surrounding black students' liberation, women's liberation, and anti-war activism. And that's all I have for you today. Thank you, and talk to you soon.